Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler. And on the pod this week, I talk to MIQ's co-founder and CEO, German Handel, as part of our Meet the Founder series. We start with German's humble ad network beginnings and where he saw insight as a potential game changer. But very quickly, we move on to culture and leadership and this concept of over-delivery that runs right through the MIQ business and out of their 30 or so offices across the world. We also talk about psychological safety during the pandemic, breaking the US and an alternative take on exit strategies. But I started by asking German about MIQ's elevator pitch and how much it's changed since day one. MIQ's global leading programmatic media partner for agencies and clients. Essentially what we do is if a client wants to run a programmatic ad campaign, they ask us to run it for them. Mm. And our job is really to deliver them the best ROI on that campaign and back it up with great insights and service. And I'd probably say that's the most consistent thing we've done from today till when we launched a business in October 2010. And could you ever imagine back in 2010 when it all felt very nascent as to where we are now, you know, 12 years down the line, that this programmatic ecosystem would be so big and vast and full of so many different types of companies? I did think like that programmatic would scale mm. rapidly because... I think the you create an ecosystem where, you know, a seller can find lots of buyers and charge fair value for their asset, which is an ad slot. And then you have a buyer who can have access to loads of sellers, yeah. have no commitments most of the time and, you know, choose to value it at what it's of value to them. Mm. And if there's a match, the ad is delivered and it's win-win. So I just thought that was just a much more efficient way yeah an effective way of trading ad space. Were you an ad guy anyway? Had you been in sort of advertising and tech before you founded MIQ? Yeah, I was in what was traditionally known as advertising networks. <laughs> so a company called AdLink was where I started my Yeah, career. I remember AdLink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I went to the DMGT group, Daily Mail General mm. Trust Group, to set up an ad network, really an internal ad network there that we called Any Media, yeah. which was just an ad network of all the assets that DMGT owned. How do you sort of remember that time from what was going through your head at that time where you were setting up these ad networks? And it was a perfectly good way to buy. I remember working on DR clients where we were running, you know, 20 ad networks on there and you're just constantly swapping, changing budget based on CPA. Was there a sort of a realisation that there was a different, more efficient way of doing this? Do you remember that moment when you thought about it? Yeah, I started my career like 19 had a one-year work placement at an ad network in 2003. <laughs> and like, I really enjoyed it, right? Yeah. The company was like 15 people when I joined, 35 by the time I left. And because it was so new, this space was back mm. then. That, mm. and like, you know, I, I kind of learned more of the plumbing and the operational side of how ad networks were, how to optimize campaigns, etc. What I quickly did, I sort of went back to uni, went traveling, and then I come back to work at Link. And then that's where I met Lee, who's a co-founder of MIQ. Yeah. He was my boss. And what me and him actually did was about six months after I left uni is we actually both sort of quit our jobs within Adlink and asked the leadership to give us a freedom to launch a new division for mm. DR-based campaigns. And then the pitch really was more transparency and more insight. Right. Back in those days, you used to have these gotcha. blind networks, which were... <laughs> 
hey, give us your money and you'll never know what happened with it, basically, <laughs> barring the result. And we can't tell you where your ads are mm. run and things like that. So I always thought there was a sort of need to give more insight to mm. companies. Mm. And what you sort of quickly found was the best market research data for brands is actually all the raw data under the yeah. one impression that they got. 100%. Like 500 points of data next to an impression. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like, okay, actually, if you can deliver the performance, so whether it's that CPA goal or whatever it was, mm. but back it up with great insights, then that was something that people are going to latch on to. Yeah. And the two ad networks I create performance divisions of were all about, hey, it's not just about the DR we drive, it's about the insight we drive. Yeah. And that would have been a real step change because, you know, a bunch of clients, whether you're, you know, trying to get test drives or you're trying to sell free SIM cards, you know, it was very, very, very performance driven. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, something we're wrestling with now is really trying to get digital to emerge from that very DR performance folks thing. Look, you know, of course you can build brands here too. You mentioned that Lee was your boss at the time and then you went to be sort of equals within co-founders. How was that dynamic? That was great. Right with it. (laughs) No, what happened actually at Adlink was after we quit our job, set this new division up. So we were still, we didn't quit the job. We just moved to a new role. Hmm. And he left, though, after six weeks to go do it at Unanimous, which was Adlink's biggest competitor. And he he did ask me, he said, look, just wait, let me get embedded and I'll come and hire you again. (laughs) But I was like, no, no, I want to take your job. And then I luckily got his job, actually, when he quit. And then it's the best career move that ever happened to me. Yeah, there you Um, go. But then we competed for years, actually. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it's been been one of the best things really is finding and running this business with him some nice highs what about some of the low points were there ever moments where you thought you know it's just hard getting the people or you know getting agencies to buy into the tech were there ever moments where you thought you know maybe i could go back to daily mail group or maybe i could go back and do this other thing have i made the right call I think we always wanted to run our own business. Yeah. And like, Mm. I think if you really want to create a culture around people, you need to have that decision-making power at the top. Like, you can't blame anybody else, I will say. Like, it's easy to, well, I would do this if I was allowed. (laughs) Well, you know, you've got full accountability. And so I think we always want to start our own business. We never took funding. You know, that was a big randomness about our business because mm. most companies took yeah, yeah. and and that gave us a bit more freedom in autonomy actually to, to sort of move at our own pace scale make sure we were profitable because then you know otherwise we wouldn't be able to keep the lights on and so we, we grew the business really at our own pace because programmatic was so much more efficient way of buying than mm. how traditional ad networks bought we could outperform the old ad networks pretty easily yeah and we're backing up with better insight. We launched an office in Bengaluru to connect all the dots when it comes to data mm. to deliver better performance and insight. So things started going really, really well. And, you know, we then tried to launch in the US. And I'd say that was the hardest first point where we we're like, oh my God, this is like incredibly difficult. We started losing money in our US operation. And that was like, all right, how long can we keep going? Yeah. And so there was a point in the time where we were like, oh, we that's classic British business tries to make it in the US and then we destroy it all for that for the, just to, to chase that ambition and what was it about it was it the scale was it an awareness thing was it just the sort of market dynamics what was it the hard was about the US yeah it's just like you know we had no brand mm. nobody knew us nobody cared you go to America and go oh, what with your 
colleagues and my <laughs> share in the UK. They don't care. Did you go out for a bit as well, assuming New York yeah, and you're doing it on I the moved. ground? Yeah. Yeah. So I personally moved with my wife and yeah, the first year or so was incredibly hard. And mm. it was, there was a point where we could have just stopped America and concentrated on the UK, which for me personally would have been like, oh, what a personal failure that yeah. I took the responsibility to go out there and there was a few moments i always tell the team a story of i went to a cousin's wedding in australia and i was flying back to america and i had to stop over in auckland and i just got a load of anxiety and just like this is never going to work i called lee and i said look man i just i'm going back but i'm like well, you know something's got to change do you know what i mean it's like it's not working yeah. and then he'd come out two days later and we just chewed the fat on what to do try something different and from that moment it really started to kick off yeah what was it that you changed or or did differently why did it start to unlock for you i think we were trying to hire senior people and say look you must know how to do this hmm. in america so you tell us what to do and we'll just try help you with you know how to run ad campaigns so i, I used to trade the campaign yeah well, you build the OT market strategy, I'll just build the trading infrastructure. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got to take a bit more ownership of the whole lot. Yeah. You know? And and then it was just higher, sort of younger, hungry people who were like, hey, look, you can scale much faster in your career by coming to join a startup like mm. MIQ. And, you know, we were very aggressive on like compensation, variable compensation in particular. Yeah. So you can make a lot of money as well. And I think that approach to, you know, one of us as founders taking full ownership, committing to stay there for a longer amount of time, plus just backing up and coming talent, that was what really kicked off. Because our product was good enough yeah. for America. Yeah, yeah. It was just breaking into the clients. Basically. Yeah. There's so many established players there as well. The advertiser agency dynamic is sort of quite different. So, you know, you can have great terms with agency, but of course, a lot of the business goes direct as well. So I wanted to touch on what you talked about with culture as well. I mean, looking at the site and just reading around MIQ, you've always said that company culture is really, really important to you. What does a good company culture look like and have you been really clear on what that might be from the start or is it something you sort of learned as you've gone along i think we were very passionate about like trying to over deliver for people what we mean by that is like you know trying to figure that out in every single decision mm. that you can make and then i think in the early days we just took such a personal view on everyone really mm. and built a relationship with them and it was quite custom actually how we approached our people yeah from an individual to individual basis. But then as we scaled, we sort of determined some sort of values of like, oh, like, you know, two, three years in, we fired a head of talent. And he was like, well, what's the values? Like, we don't really have any. And it's like, well, we do have that. <laughs> They're just not written on the walls. Yeah. yeah. And then we just sort of just described what it was like to work at MIQ. We come up with sort of these five values. And I think that's the consistent glue mm that has held our business together globally, yeah. not just in each local market. Now we're in 30 cities Whoa. all around the world. I think living and breathing the values and having people understand them and not they're just not corporate work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They mean something. Yeah. I think that's helps you scale the culture. So it's like you have to create a bit more consistency, mm. a bit more fairness, equality. And that's where I think we've enhanced our culture is, mm. is to embrace some of these practices but while sticking to the values and yeah. sticking to being entrepreneurial and i think for me in terms of my role in the business going certainly like going forward it's about 
make sure we don't grow and lose that special DNA of culture. It's so easy to do, yeah. It's so easy to do, but it's kind of like, it's our job to make sure that that happens for the longest possible time. Mm. And one of our things, because we're old ad network guys, (laughs) it's like, you know, we've seen every ad network kind of go really high and then fall (laughs) off a cliff, you know, and we want to build the most sustainable Mm. business. We want to be around for multiple decades. We want to be like, like, we built a 30-year business that continued its growth and continued its culture. And I think that's important yeah. message to give to our people. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's stability in this business. You know, we want to remain independent. We both are committed to this business and we want to be here for a long, long time. We always said our vision was to be the best. Well, I think we run a campaign. If you perform mm-hmm. better, you describe the best. Yeah. If you're innovating quicker, I think you can describe the best. But we also want to be the most sustainable. Mm. Just because we're from that world of like, Nobody lasted really longer than 10 years. Everybody kind of were like, well, how could we do this for 20, 30 years? But I think that helps the culture so people can sort of think, okay, look, look, you know, I can build a career here, have a family while I build my career here and whatever they want to do in their life, you know, it's offer that stability. But with the growth comes more opportunity. And the combo of that stability and opportunity is what can help us keep over-delivering for our people and keep making that the best asset of the business. It's such a clear articulation. And I love the whole bit around building a sustainable business because I guess we were in a similar place four years ago when we looked at the industry. They'd just made John CEO at the IAB. And you described it perfectly. What digital advertising was, was it's not a very old business, not very mature in terms of telly and print, that kind of thing. When it grew up, it grew up really, really quickly. It was very short-term focused. And as you said, it's like just this sort of boom and bust. People would either sell or you go under, people move around. And it just felt like, certainly in the last few years, certainly during COVID onwards, it really is about now having something for the future. It's like digital advertising is the biggest now. We can't get away with the short-term thinking and the just the massive grow, 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 grow all the time. We, we need something that, you know, is going to build brands for clients, not just, you know, hit CPAs and keep taking their cash. So I think we're absolutely on the same length. And I love the way you you talk about it in terms of your people as well. Tell me about COVID in the last couple of years. I mean, being in 30 cities around the world, each with different lockdowns, different rules, some people in the office, some not. How important were values and culture? You know, with everyone basically at home or in different offices, you know, so much of culture is about a building and what you have on the wall and the spaces that you create. But how tough were the last two years in terms of holding everyone together at MIQ? So I think when we were in like March 2020, where it was the uncertainty was off the charts, right? We we just didn't know what the hell was going to happen to the business, Mm. right? In terms of what demand was going to happen. and But it was such an opportunity to prove out over-delivering for your people, actually, back then. And it was like, well, with a little bit of how do you make the math work on... If you put yourself back into that time... What people really wanted was a bit of stability. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a time of a lot of instability. And so one of the things we did, and it was sort of towards the mid to the end of March, we'd come out pretty quick and we said, look, we might lose 70 to 80% of our revenue. We don't know, right? Uh, And we're hundreds of millions of revenue. So that's a lot of money to lose. 
even if that happens, we are going to guarantee that nobody goes on furlough, nobody loses their job all around the world, I think for a period of at least six months. And to do that, we're making a few changes. And the changes we said is like, we want everyone to work a four-day week with the thinking that there'll be just such little demand that there might not be enough work to do, basically. We'd ask you to take, I think it was a 10% or 18% pay cut, depending on what level you were Mm -hmm. working a four-day week. We kind of gave everybody a commission. So whether you're the office manager to the salesperson on any bit of gross profit the company made each month to create that sort of let everyone be cheering every deal and there's a bit of variable compensation for everybody. And all these bonuses were linked to independent KPIs. It's just all one bonus rule for everyone. You've still got your bonus, Mm. but we've got to get to this level of gross profit by the end of the year for everyone to get back. And everyone in the company had effectively that. We don't want to furlough anybody because we thought people might want to work because they want, they they need that mental health Mm. like stimulation rather than being, but they also needed the freedom with the kids and things like that, certainly for the people with families, which we could give. And one of our values of our five values is unity, which is like, you know, it's like, it's more fun kind of to do things together yeah, than yeah. as individuals and you help each other. So we called it Project Unity. Mm. We were like, this can only work if you all sign up to it. And I think we're, for, you know, that time we must have had six, 700 employees. We had to get everyone to sign an, an addendum to their contract in about five, six days. <laughs> so like, if, if you're all up for this, but you know, yeah, we yeah. can't do it unless you're all up for it. But everybody did it. Then there was like this sharing Slack channel, this big Mm. global hustle just was created. And it was just from, you know, Melbourne to Singapore to Hamburg to London to LA of people just going, right, how are we getting deals? You know, and what it was is because everybody didn't have to worry about their job. Yeah. So they could just focus on the business. And managers in particular didn't have, like, I saw some of our competitors and speak to their managers at those. They were like, oh, they had to make that horrible decision on when you've got all this uncertainty. So who am I going to have to call and say, look, you've lost your job or you're going on furlough and we don't know when you're going to come back. And I think that was a move we made which at the time I thought our people appreciated because they got a bit of stability. Yeah. But it bloody worked. Like we absolutely smashed it from a business perspective. You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? If you give people Mm -hmm. that psychological security of your job is safe, then all of their focus is on, as you say, smashing it out of the park. If you're thinking about that tap on the shoulder or that call or seeing what else is out there because you sort of don't know what's going to happen, you just can't get the best out of people. But I love the way it was in your values anyway you brought out. I mean, this is just like a sort of masterclass in, in, in how to run a business. It's fantastic. To finish, tell me about big priorities and plans and stuff that you've got coming up that you're excited by. As you we were talking about earlier, like everything's advertising is kind of becoming programmatic now. Mm. I'm loving us doing TV advertising yeah. now, radio advertising and out of home advertising. And I think these sort of uh, new forms of programmatic now are making it exciting to build brands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not just about DR as yeah. much as it used to be and things <laughs> like that. And so this evolution is quite an exciting time. It's like lots of growth we're experiencing because of this sort of evolution in the industry. And then I think some of the other parts around the culture and, and how the world is moving to mm. sort of be more equal, being more socially responsible. Yeah. 
and you are seeing things spin out. I saw what Brian O'Kelly's doing around Scope 3, you know, a massive, massive emphasis on sustainability. We're seeing private marketplaces set up which are purely focused on more ethical advertising or reaching different types of diverse groups. It feels like there has been a shift, and I don't know whether it's a pandemic thing or not coming out the other end, but there is more of a shift around, I need something that's transparent. I need something where I'm clear what the chain is. I, I know I need to behave in a responsible way. DNI is great for business. You know, we don't have to go into rooms and argue that anymore. And it, it sounds to me like you're, you're set up in a way to kind of embrace this new world, this new way of thinking. It's interesting with Brian's scope free thing. We're mm. one of the companies kicking that off with him and his team. Yeah. And it's cool because, you know, we initially built our business very much on Xander Abnexus. So we know the team really well and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And so we like so having the ability to basically optimize campaigns in real time yeah. to more sustainable, basically inventory sources. Yeah. It's kind of in the DNA of what we do yeah, as yeah, well. And that's so it's, it's exciting. The project we've got with those guys kicking off now but the, the reality is there's so much so many ways of doing yeah things that are or whether it's more sustainable or adding more equality into the business and things like that there's just loads yeah. you can do and it goes back to prioritizing what's important and trying to find what's in your sort of dna mm. that's why i kind of like the, what the scope free guys are doing yeah. what we're doing with them yeah. and that fact that it's very much in our like dna to try and optimise in real-time campaigns to websites or that are, are more sustainable. Yeah. And there is a segment now of people coming into this industry that they're looking at that as their number one criteria yeah, 100%. company. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like you've got to listen and you've got to focus. On yeah. That. And, and it's a learning opportunity yeah. for, for everyone as well. That's a brilliant, um, brilliant point. Very final question. Slightly, slightly naughty question, probably, but we were talking about Zander. Zander, obviously, part of an acquisition from Microsoft. You said, you know, we're not going to sell part of this business for a long time. If a Microsoft or a really big one came in, would it be really hard to turn that away? From our side, like, this is a little bit of why I think companies in the ad network space become unsustainable. Mm. They used to use this word exit. What's your exit yes. strategy? Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like, what are you going to do to get out? Me and Lee have always said, we run this business as if we're going to own it forever. Yeah. On the way, if we want to do what we call capital events, mm -hmm. which is sell down some shares to some people who are up for the long-term sustainable journey, we'll do that. All right. And we've done that. Private equity is a great route to yeah, do yeah. that with. And we've had an amazing journey. We did that a few years ago with PE Partners ECI, who've been fantastic helping us grow. And if we want to do that again to find another PE company to support us, yeah. yeah. But the goal is remain independent Love it. and grow the business sustainably. If there's a few capital events along the way and people want to join us for the ride, so be it. But there is no exit strategies. It's about fun as well. You've got to work in yeah, yeah, I yeah. think this is yeah. a lot of fun. And yeah. it's like that independent part of our story is important to us. German, thank you so much for giving me half an hour this morning. I've loved it. And you've come up with some absolutely brilliant things about your people as well as the product. So thank you very, very much. No, thank you. German Hundel from MIQ there. I always have a decent sense as to where the conversation's going to go when we do these founder specials, but I have to say, I never expected us to cover MIQ's response to the pandemic, which I think is just incredible. The part about him moving out to New York and trying to crack the US, and I think just his 
willingness to share how vulnerable he felt at some of those points when he talked about coming back from Australia from that wedding and just not really sure whether he could crack this thing and kind of do the US. And I think that sense you get from him as just this really genuinely compassionate leader, the stuff about not having an exit strategy and being absolutely committed to this business, I I just thought was brilliant to hear. I really, really, and admittedly, rather unexpectedly, really, really enjoyed that one. There's loads more Founders stuff coming up on the pod this year. And of course, you can go back and listen to the likes of Stefan Svartberg from Kavai, Sophie Hine from Voiceworks, and Good Loops' Amy Williams on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Or you can find them all via our site, iabuk.com. Thanks very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.